Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. And yes, sir, I can boogie. I can boogie all night long. Boogie boogie, boogie boogie, all night long. Do you know why I've started the show by doing that, guys? I'm assuming this has something to do with a certain country qualifying for a certain tournament somewhere in the world. I, I, I just assume it's because you're a big Stephen Caldwell fan. <laughs> ah, maybe that as well. I actually didn't mind Caldwell on Thursday. Obviously, I had tears in my eyes at the point, so it's like anything would have, would have mattered. Yes, that was a tribute to Scotland. I will explain why in a second. Tonight's AFTN Soccer Show, two hours. An hour and 55 minutes on Scotland qualifying for Euro 2021 or 20, depending how you want to look at it, and maybe five minutes on the Axel Schuster MDS end-of-season presser chat. But the reason I started with that song, that was the disco classic by Baccarat. Not sure what year it was from, actually. Yes, sir, I can boogie. 1977. There, just checked that. 1977, Baccarat. Yes, sir, I can boogie. Do you guys know that song? Never heard of it. Oh. Well, it was a big disco classic in the 70s, and one of the players that plays for Scotland, Andrew Considine, he had his stag do last year, and for his stag do, he dressed up as a woman, so he was in complete drag, singing, miming to that song, still don't know why, so after Scotland's win on Thursday, the players were all dancing about in the dressing room singing, yes sir, I can boogie. That is pretty much all the talk I'm going to have in Scotland, it was a very emotional week for me. Scotland qualifying for their first major tournament in 23 years. This is what it's going to feel like when Canada hopefully qualify for the 2022 World Cup because it's not going to feel quite the same, I think, Zach, if they just get there by default in 2026. You're going to be excited, but it's not going to have that buzz of actually qualifying for it and watching them qualify. Yeah, obviously there's a difference when you qualify than when you get into a tournament as hosts. Um, I mean, the situations between Scotland and Canada are different in terms of their qualification for tournaments. We're both medals. But, yeah, but but yeah, I think in Canada though, dude. I mean, like as soon as that's announced, made official, like we all think it's it has to happen. But once that's official, I think there's going to be a lot of people in this country, especially uh, you know the voyagers and and other Canadian uh, supporters who are going to be just over the moon. Um, 
But the focus for people like John Herdman is to not just make that, uh, to make that more the icing on the cake and to qualify for 2022. Um, and, and yeah, that I, I like, um, assuming that's in a post pandemic world, the celebrations for that, I can only imagine in, in uh, certain places uh, around this country are going to go I'm gonna go crazy. It, it would be fantastic. Like the the joy that I had on Thursday, I took an extended lunch so that I could watch it. I was only going to watch the first half, and then I thought I'll watch the second half when I went get back later. Then I thought, no, I, there's not going to be much happen. I'll take the risk. I'll fast forward through the first half. So there was no goals. Then I was watching the second. Scotland scored, and I was like. I, I, I can't just sit and watch this play out for the, the last half hour or so. So I fast forwarded to the last 10 minutes, then they gave up a goal in the 90th minute, and I was like, oh, that's Scotland. But then, penalties, long story short, I yelled so much that I could not talk when I went back to work to deal with the public in the afternoon, and my voice has only just recovered. And I've mentioned I did this before in a show, I yelled so loud, I hurt my asshole. Again. I did not learn from the last time I did that. I do recall that you saying that before. Yeah. The, Caitlin thinks there's possibly something wrong with me because that's not a healthy thing to happen. Is that the only reason she thinks that? or? But I, I, mean, I mean, it is different situations between Canada and Scotland. When I was a little boy, I was spoiled. Six out of seven World Cups Scotland qualified for. Obviously, as a German fan, Zach, you're very spoiled because you're always at the World Cups. But... When Canada were there in 86, I remember watching it on TV. I've talked about this before. I've got the Panini sticker book, everything like that. And then it still gives me a buzz that I'm chatting to some of these guys over here these days. And of course, the man that led Canada to that World Cup in 1986 was the legend of the game here in Canada, Tony Waiters, who sadly passed away this week. That was horrible news to to wake up for on Tuesday morning. It just, I mean, heartbreaking. I, I know he was in his 80s and the last time you saw him, he, he was a little bit frail. But for for one man, the impact, Steve, that he has had on the game in Canada at club level with the Whitecaps, taking them to a soccer ball in 1979, with Canada taking them to the quarterfinals of the Olympics in 84, taking them to their first World Cup in 86, one man had that impact on the game here and it's just celebrate those achievements. Yeah. And he was able to bring a team that was pretty diverse, like from, you know, not only just to like within Canada, all over Canada and then other people from other parts of the world that had moved here. So he's able to bring a lot of different styles and everything like that to that qualifying. Um, I still remember that, that tournament, 86. Um, uh, I think like my, my great grandfather, grandfather, father, and myself were all watching that at the time. Wow! And so it was it was pretty, pretty cool. Um, I but it was it was one of the f- things I remember. One of my could be my first sporting memory um, that I recall. Um, I think it was about ten years old or something like that at that time. Nine, ten years old. So easily the first one. Um, uh, I probably had other ones before that, but I just don't recall it as much. It didn't really make as much of an impact. What about yourself, Zach? I mean, what's your memories of 86, first of all, if you've got that many of them, but also just a little bit on, on Tony Waiters and the legacy that he has left for the game here in Canada? 
Yeah, I'm, I was not following football that closely at, at that age. Um, I didn't really come into following football until just before the 94 World Cup. Um, but uh, so, but yeah, I mean, even then it was like, I remember when I started falling in, I went and saw, like I went and watched Canada play in 94 against Germany Varsity Stadium. And um, some of those players from that, uh, from that World Cup were still in the team and still involved in stuff. Um, and yeah, I never really got to hang out with Tony Waiters. So I don't, I don't know you have a few times, Michael, but um, I never have. And, uh, but I have tremendous respect for him. Yeah. Like all that he accomplished, all that he gave to the game in Canada, the, the way he helped it move, move forward with his contributions to club football and uh, obviously the national team. Uh, some people will point to the, the Olympic run in 84 as being even more, uh, the pinnacle or more significant mm-hmm. in some ways than the, the World Cup. Uh, the World Cup run or the, the games at the World Cup or whatever. But um, no, I mean, uh, he he's a legend of the game in Canada and has made massive contributions that uh, I think our nation should be thankful for and, and honor him for. And uh, I know there's a few people who are trying to honor him in different ways. So hopefully we'll see some of that come to fruition in, in the, the months or, or maybe years ahead. And I think the best way to honor him is to actually like uh, try to do what, uh, replicate what he did. Um, going forward and try to build a game like there was a big gap after he left the soccer scene where there wasn't anybody really to uh, lift that torch up and hopefully some of these guys can do that and 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 you know every, you're talking about you know 2026 but then you still have 2022 coming mm-hmm. and uh, John Herdman still uh, I know it's a kind of a long shot at this point but he still uh, wants to get into that tournament and I, that'd be great for him and a good like tribute to Tony Waiters and that team in 86. Yeah, there's a, a few plans. There's a couple of people started petitions to, to get a statue of Tony outside BC Place, which I think would be very, very fitting. Also, if they could maybe somehow rename one of the the roads Tony Waiters Way, something like that, I think that, that would be a really nice touch by the city because it, he had a, a big impact on, on the, the sport here, on the city here, the country as a whole. I was so amazed that he hadn't really been inducted into the the BC Hall of Fame before but then it turns out you actually have to be nominated for it and it was just that no one had nominated him probably everyone thought he was already in there but hopefully Canada Soccer do something to honour him and maybe the Whitecaps too it was nice that he got into their ring of honour last year it was nice catching up with him last year when he was over with the 79 soccer ball team I'd caught with him a couple of years before as well with members of the, the 86 squad when they were at BC Place and we brought you that interview on the show actually twice. If I hadn't brought it twice, I would have spliced it in again tonight. But check out episode 357 in particular. That was our, our soccer ball celebration from last year where I've got that interview with Tony Waiters. But you just have to read a lot of the comments from players that he coached just uh, as to what he meant to them, Carol Valentine in particular, like Craig Forrest, Paul Dolan have had tweet stuff about. He was responsible for them coming to, to play and getting to the national team. So rest in peace, Tony. Your legacy is massive to the game here in Canada. We'll all miss you so much and you've left us with many happy memories. So moving on from the past into the future, kind of into the future, present and future. Let's go with that. And the, the current Whitecaps. Now, this week, the Whitecaps held their end-of-season press conferences with a couple of players and also Axel Schuster 
and Mark DeSantos. I wasn't able to get on the call. It was on Thursday, I was working, and it had overrun into the Scotland game anyway, so even if I had been off, I would have made sure I was watching the Scotland game. Got to listen to it a bit later. So what I'm going to do for the rest of this part is I'm going to bring you just some select audio from Axel Schuster from the the call on Thursday. And I'm doing it a little bit different. I've cut out the questions, and I've just kind of spliced in about 12 minutes of Axel's answers. I've tried to leave a gap of two seconds in between what was different questions, just so you kind of get a a gist of that. But this is mainly covering the most pertinent points, and then we'll kind of unpack that in the next part. So here is Spike Cap's sporting director and CEO, Axel Schuster. I said from the very first beginning, if you participate in this league and play in this league, you want to go to the playoffs. What else as a target you should put on the table? Um, for what do we play soccer if we don't want to go to the playoffs? So, of course, it is, uh, it's, a, it's a negative and it is disappointing that we missed the playoffs by three points. And have there been reasons for that? Yes, for sure. Um, have we ever used them as an excuse? No, and we will not start with that today. So we think we, we have, we, 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 if we go back, we see a lot of games where we, were, where we would be able, or what, where we have been able to get the points that were necessary, and we missed that. So that's the negative. I asked all the players after the last game, before we, we left Portland, is here anybody who doesn't believe that we would be able or uh, that we are able with the same group to go to the playoffs next year and um, that we can make the three points more. And everybody agreed and said, no, no question. We, we are pissed. We wanted to, to go to the playoffs. We, we think we are good enough with that group to go to the playoffs. So the positive is that I think we did a few good steps. We wanted to do four steps from uh, 12 to 8. And we have only done three steps. But the positive is we did the three steps and we did it with sustainability because um, I don't see any reason why, if we don't change anything this winter, should have a setback next year. I see us, even if we leave everything as it is, um, us progressing and going forward and becoming a better team next year with players that are now more adapted to the league and players that that uh, had time to, 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 to grow in, in, in this environment in a way difficult year. And the other positive is that we exactly know what we need because we, we exactly know what as, uh, additional things, additional uh, improvements we want to add to this group to, to even become better than the step that everybody expects from ourselves already with the existing group. And uh, there is not another big turnaround ahead of us. So there is only additional pieces we want to add. And the other positive is we have an open DP spot. We have three open used DP spots and we have Tam and Gam. So we are able to do all of that. And in the same time, we are not feel rushed to do anything now, today, tomorrow. We don't have a goalkeeper. We need a goalkeeper. We don't have a striker. We need a striker. No, we need that. We want to add the exact right pieces. And for us, right pieces means they have to 
fit our profile 100%. And we have to do the same what we did last year. We have to find players that are coming for the right reasons. And they also have a great um, character and fit exactly to our group. Because what we developed this year is a team that nobody really likes to play, that uh, out work a lot of opponents if you look at our um, physical datas we are we are um, out working opponents by four to five kilometers every game and and everybody who comes into this group has to have the right character to to participate in that work that we want to put on the on the onto the field in every game and in the same time they should have a some additional skills on, on several positions where we see need to get some additional quality. But in general, for us, uh, there we don't see a lot of adjustments. I'm speaking with some agents. We are speaking still with some players. Some players want also to know what our next steps are, what, how our team will look like, what their perspective in this is in this team. But uh, it's, as I said, not a big turnaround. I see a very few players coming and a way, way few, very, very few players leaving. We wanted to make four steps to to come to the playoffs, and we did only three steps. And in the next year, our our idea is to to make three uh, three additional steps to be safe in the playoffs, to start into a season, and to say, for us, it is not a question. Uh, um, if it is uh, it's uh, only on which position we go to the playoffs, where do we finish to go to the playoffs? And then in 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 a as a, in 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 a step by step building, um, twenty twenty two should be a year where we say we want to approach to come to 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 reach a home playoff. So this is the way how how we want to build things. So that means we don't want to, and we don't believe that we can change everything within one year, uh, especially in the way how we want to build things. But we, we, we thought we would be able to compete for the playoffs and our target was to come in on the eighth place. We missed that by three points. A tie against Orlando, a tie against San Jose and Orlando would be enough. So if we, if we, if we can stop the last attack of, of uh, San Jose in Orlando, we would be in. So we missed that. Um, and next year, that doesn't change our 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 next step next year to go into the playoffs. And uh, I don't say easily. We everybody in this league has to fight to go to the playoffs, but uh, it is a difference between we want to reach the eighth place and just go in, or to say next year we want to slide in smoothly. And then 2022, the next step should be we want to reach the home playoff. So the difference this year is that we feel, as I said, pretty confident and, and pretty good with, with this group. And we now think about some additional pieces on, on, on a few positions. And of course, that uh, uh, most of them are offensive solutions, difference makers, players that attack the goal or can, uh, can assist um, and provide service to to our uh, offensive players. So so 
what is it about? First of all, we, we have a clear idea about the profiles we are looking at, the positions and how the profile should look like. The, the next step is that most of the scouting or all of the scouting is done today in the first step on videos and with stats and, and we are doing the same. And uh, we, since I arrived in the club, we have, right, to, by today, we have five additional guys under contract that are working in our scouting and recruitment department and doing all this job. We have a new platform. And uh, at another point in this off season, I, I feel very confident to show you uh, one fake profile in our platform to show you how, how we do things. Unfortunately, I will be not allowed to show you one official player, but I, I'm really open to show you how the whole platform, how a, a whole player profile looks like. And that are, it's, it's, it's a lot of pages and it's not only videos. And of course, uh, there's also video sequences. So we have a lot of players already in. The, the thing that is much more complicated right now is the, the next step to get a, a direct, to get an impression of the, of the person itself, because you cannot travel there. And as I said, as, as I was in Israel, I was looking how the player reacts at the warm-up. So how he's doing the warm-up, how he's coming on the field, how he reacts to a decision of the referee some, somewhere, if he is not even in the video sometimes, because the referee is doing something how he is supporting his teammates in situations. Because all the things with the ball you can see easily in videos, but it's to get an impression. Then to sit down with somebody for a dinner and, and, and feel the person and, and to see and look into his, his eyes. Is he, is he convinced that this is the right step? And is he the player who goes 100% in into this project, Whitecaps in the MLS? These are things that are much more difficult to sort out right now, but it's the problem for every club in the world. And then, of course, we, we have to use such platforms because it's the same like with you. In the past, we would sit down somewhere, drink together a coffee and, and discuss at the table. You have, to, you have to be clever and find solutions. And, and maybe we have to call a few more guys we trust that know the player and, and, and work around that. But... Uh, uh, I don't want to complain because, uh, as I always say, we should not make our problems bigger than the than the real problems in the world. So it's uh, it's what it is, and we will find solutions also for that. Goals for the off seasons we have a lot, and not all are related to player acquisition. So we are, have also the goal, and we worked on that, and the final programs are uh, are on the way. That every player has a way specific individual off season program that brings him bad, better that brings him back in a in a, in a way good um, shape and also to improve guys on several skills where we see need to improve that can be language that can be uh, uh, special physical things but that can also be technical and tactical things so so this is this is for example also a goal for the off season to use the off season that is long to, to also in the, to do some work in this time with the existing squad. If we speak about player acquisition, I think we were really clear that um, we, we need a, a link between our uh, forwards, our offensive play and our defensive play. And we, we look for this one difference maker, this one uh, leader on the pitch in the middle of the park and it should be a DP on the 8-10 position, a player that attacks the goal, that um, 
uh, that um, gives uh, has assists and goals and is very good in possession. Um, we are we are looking at a left-footed winger um, as we see a need there and uh, an additional offensive player that can be very versatile and uh, and then as I said uh, we we want to focus on things first and then we want to keep the eyes open there are a lot of things that are coming we have two first round picks in the super draft an expansion draft is coming we also have to wait what happens there as we are not protected this year and uh, we will see a lot of free agents, the free agency rule change. So we keep the eyes open. We also want to keep the chance not to miss a chance that comes up later. So it's not our idea to, to do everything within the next two, three weeks. And then in January, if also the European market open again, and I see a very fragile European market right now, uh, options come up and, and we have fixed things and we suddenly see better options. So we want to keep things quite flexible and open. But uh, I think that that the, the, the uh, needs are way clear what, um, that, that are related to our offensive play because we think um, with a few additional options, we would be able to win a game against Portland, and both games against Portland were really close. And we, I think, way way balanced the games. And you felt in these games um, that the team that scores the first goal will win the goal. And we want to have these additional players, quality, and options and possibilities to be the team that scores the first goal. So Whitecaps CEO and Sporting Director Axel Schuster there. Quite a lot to unpack from what he said in the, the chat on Thursday and we will be doing exactly that after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's this week's song from this month's Artist of the Month here at AFTN, English band Idols, and that was a song showing a different side to them. Taken from this year's Ultra Mono album, that was a hymn. And it's definitely very different to a lot of their other more shouty stuff, to, to put it that way. 
but it is also one of my favourite songs that they've done as well. I just love the vocals, I love the lyrics, and it's just a fantastic all-round song, and I hope you enjoyed it. So back to the football chat now, and we rounded off part one with a little bit of audio from Whitecaps CEO and Sporting Director Axel Schuster on Thursday. So a lot to unpack from what Axel said. First thing to ask you guys, 53 minutes was the call with Mark and Axel. In that time, Mark just got four questions put to him, which I thought was a bit odd. I'm coming from it, I guess, old school. Maybe it's just in Scotland, we look at the head coach as like the important guy, the guy you want to ask all the questions to. I don't know if it's maybe a little bit different over here and when there's a sporting director, just like a general manager, I guess, in hockey, that you feel he's the guy that you direct most of the questions to. But, I mean, did either of you think that's a little bit odd that Mark didn't really have that many questions to field? No, it's it's a North American thing where they do, because uh, they're talking about the off-season upcoming usually. Hmm. Uh, that's where the, the questions are. And then, like last year, I think it was obviously MDS took most of the questions because he was the face of the thing at the time. But um, but this year, because because Axel's got the both roles right now, I think that that's the reason why he got most of the questions. Um, you'll also uh, probably a lot of it also has to do with the, the fact that the journalists are co- always talking to MDS probably, and uh, so you want to get more of the questions to somebody who's you know quote unquote making the decisions and for the off season. Does it have anything to do with the fact that I think? Uh, even the journalists are approaching this in terms of the, the things that need to be changed are more, I mean, obviously you can change the on-field stuff, but where the bigger and more decisive things that are going to um, shift things for the club are what's going to happen with things that either Axel has control of or more control of or influence on than, than Mark. That would, that would be my first thought about yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's a very, that's a very fair point because I think most of the changes you are looking at maybe behind the scenes I, I mean one of the most surprising stroke funny questions came from our good friend Har who asked Axel if Mark who was sitting there on the call was going to be back next year as head coach which felt a little awkward but I mean Axel confirmed it and said it was never in discussion and I, I think we we knew he was he was never his job wasn't in jeopardy, really. I'm wondering if they they, they, they wanted to avoid those questions. That's the why they had them both up there because you have to you do have to ask that question. Yeah, that is a reasonable question to ask, but it does make it awkward uh, asking that with the person next to right next to them. Yeah, I was joking with her after I was chatting with her, and she said the same thing. I do agree with her. It's like someone was going to ask that question because it is a question you ask when the team hasn't made the playoffs for the third straight season. So let's look at some of the stuff that Axel said, because I I think there's going to be a lot of what he said that fans are going to have been listening to, and they're going to be maybe a little surprised, a little bit angry about, and not quite understanding where the the Whitecaps are coming from. Now, he talked that there's disappointment, obviously, that the playoffs were missed. So the the first thing I, I want to talk to you guys about is ambition. So... Axel said uh, the target this year was to go up four steps. So think of this as like a little kid on the naughty step. That was the Whitecaps last year. They were in 12th place in the West. So they were targeting four steps going from 12th. Wait, I thought it was four pillars. Have they changed the steps now? 
Well, we're on to steps now. Not the band, but the, the four steps. So they basically wanted to go from step 12 to step 8. In other words, bottom of the West to the final playoff spot. So that was their target to get into the playoffs. An eighth spot, the last playoff spot, was what they were targeting. So they only went up three steps instead of four. So that was one of the disappointments. But then they said the target for next year, this is their ambition, is to go up another three steps. So to sixth. So they're targeting sixth in the West next season so that they're safely in a playoff spot. Which if we've been following the MLS Western Conference uh, a lot in recent years, Zach, sixth spot is not necessarily safe right until the very end in the in the grand scheme of things. Uh, that's disappointing. I mean, uh, I, you can understand why the people in Vancouver and the, uh, like the Whitecaps uh, don't want to hear that kind of uh, messaging or that approach. Like it, it's. I mean, uh, at least it feels. On- I'll say this: at least it feels honest. Yeah. Unlike, unlike two years ago when they said, "No, we're going to get back in the top third of spending," and everyone's like, "Really? Are you really going to do that?" Um, but uh, it just again, like it, it just it feels like a lack of ambition. <laughs> like I think that's what it comes comes down to. That for me, it's not even. It came across to me, but yeah, yeah. For me, it's not even a lack of ambition. I, I, for me, like I didn't even need that. I don't need them to tell me what step they are on and what step they want to go to. Just do it. Like, like, stop the talk and just do it. Like, just walk the walk. I guess you could say. I agree with you, Steve. There, there is definitely a a show me, don't tell me. Like, yeah, I, I don't want to hear about what. Like, I didn't even like. You just say we were trying to make the playoffs. We just missed it. Missed out on it. And uh, next year we want to make the playoffs. Uh, like you can even say uh, we want to be in the uh, comfortably in the playoffs. You don't have to mention like specifically about steps and and spots and how many steps you want to go. Um, you're just setting yourself up for failure because you're going to have people saying, "Oh, I thought you want to go three more steps up. Now mm-hmm. you're only two steps up, or whatever, or you just barely made it in, or you backed your way into the playoffs." With one of the more annoying terms. I, I guess that can also then be used for Mark's uh, coaching evaluation at the end of his contract as well. We gave you three steps to go up and you've only gone up one or two. So there, there's that aspect. But I do think it makes it worse because Axel did say that at the club, the minimum expectation is they're going to make the playoffs. And I think all fans for every single club in MLS, the minimum expectation, Steve, is you're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, is okay. Did they say they, their initial uh, plan was to go up four steps? Yes, they wanted to go from twelve now, to eight. Now, uh, prior to the season, it wasn't the top eight teams making the playoffs. It was the top seven teams. So, if oh, that's, that's the true. case, their their plan was to miss the playoffs by one spot. So that doesn't make sense to me. It just yeah, came into my head. Exactly. I think it's, this was this again. This to me, this seems like. Um, redoing history or whatever you're rewriting history it is steve yeah. it's revisionist history for sure revisionist yeah. that's what it was because they, they they need to they they're, they're trying to send out a message that they think i i don't like i and i and i like i want axel to do well and i want mds to do well but i just don't think this helps them that is very astute of you there steve i hadn't even picked up on that we're, we're going to be chatting with mark and axel in uh within the coming weeks anyway once some more stuff's been sorted out. So that's an interesting point. I might might put that to him. But like, when I hear steps 12 to 8, stuff like that, 
I think, English non-league. So right now, we're somewhere like the South East Counties League last season, finishing in Tier 12. We've possibly moved up now to the Ithmian Premier League, but he's hoping to get us to the National League, which is still outside of the Football League, but you're, you're getting close. And that's basically just my clumsy analogy for saying there's a difference between improving this team to make them make the playoffs and to actually be a competitive team. And that was one of the questions that JJ Adams asked. And he didn't really get the full answer to it because that is a a big difference. And we've talked about it so much over the years. It's like, yeah, you can squeak into the playoffs. Is that all? that you really want because they also said that the next target for 2022 is then a home playoff position so not even necessarily oh we want to win the western conference or we want to finish top two they just want a home playoff which right now would be finishing in the top four so it's like baby steps and axel has said look we can't do everything and do all this improvement in just one year it's basically it's going to take a couple of years and I, I don't have an issue with that, but they got to show that improvement. They just they, they just can't talk about it. I, can't, I keep going to them always coming up with uh, points to um, like the spin, basically creating spin for themselves. And it's just a matter of just doing it. And let's let's see what they can do. I, I'll give them next year. Let's see how many steps they can take, uh, how many pillars they can put up, how many uh, whatever um, others, you know, archa- architectural term they come up with to figure out how to how to explain the season and let's just see what they can do because right now um they're they're not that far off i honestly to make the playoffs they're not that far off they uh like i was looking at the standings they're the team that the that the best uh the team with the most points of all the teams that missed the playoffs yes so they're not that and they're better than some of the other teams in the east as well yeah they so, were better than two teams that did make the playoffs. yeah so they're 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 okay they're right now okay considering what they went through but they need to show that that ability to guard, they get the player it might not be easy they probably they might even say they couldn't do it because of covid and everything again but they need to show that because there is a chance for there they can even use the fact that they're going to be playing most of the season next year in the US as a uh, you know you want to move to portland timbers don't want to sign you come play with us <laughs> yeah you get your us green card I, I, I agree. I agree with what Steve was saying. I mean, and, and Michael, you, I think you just said like, oh, they said, you know, it's going to take a couple of years to do this. Like, that's like, I'm sorry, but like, it's been two years since they've moved on from an approach that, that at least, at least made them somewhat competitive, mm-hmm. right? In the Carl Robinson era, they were at least somewhat competitive and they, and they chose a cheaper approach. To building a team right you have jeff doing whatever jeff it is that jeff does but you they paid to work with a, an, an agent and an agency to be their predominant source for players and it brought about results for them again mixed results i think is fair i think it's hard to argue there wasn't that there was some success and that there was some failure in that and you you can like that or not like that but you have to at least recognize that that is common in the world of football. There are lots of football clubs who only work with one primary agent or agency or group or whatever. You could say you don't like it. You think it, it can lead to some awkward things. That's fine. But that's, that's how things work in, in the world. And so when, 
when Mark DeSantis came in, one of the things he was like, well, what's going on for scouting? There's, there, I, I think I, I either heard publicly or privately this analogy of uh, the cupboards are bare when it comes to scouting. And that's because that's the approach they took. That's, that was the, the, and again, to them, I think it was the, the cheaper approach or less costly approach. And that was, that was on them. So now that they want to go in a different road, they have to do things differently, but they haven't done it quick enough. And they have definitely, there's not even debatable. They haven't gotten the results from what they've been doing up till now. And so it's kind of hard when people hear them say, yeah, it's going to take another couple of years for us to really get it to where we want it to be. When it's like, you've had so long. And again, this is not all on Axel. This is not all on MDS. This is on the executive and the ownership who's chosen to go these different routes and and have and have also even within both of these ways of working it have limited how you know how much can be spent on different things. And so it's it's hard for people I think to keep hearing this stuff because and and this is why I think a lot of people in this season, in addition to a number of other reasons, have been like it's really hard to keep like actively supporting the Whitecaps, you know, like actively being engaged with them is because it's kind of like there's a broken record and these things keep going on. Like how many, how many times, Michael, now have you heard MDS or, or his contemporaries say, yeah, the next transfer window, the next transfer window Mm -hmm. is when we're going to bring in that player that we really hope is going to make a difference. I think it's been every window he's every time he's been here. And again, that's not a comment against MDS. That's, that's not, that's not MDS's fault. Right. But I literally think every window they've said, no, no, the next window is going to be better for us because of X, Y, or Z. And it it simply just hasn't. And the thing is, I think the the problem is, is they had to abandon the old way as well because of the fact that they used it as like a stepping point to uh, justify the firing of Carl Robinson uh, because they felt like that wasn't good enough recruiting. And so they they, they couldn't even use that. That, that old program they had to like and they were ready for the new program so that really put uh, both MDS and Axel behind the eight ball in, in, in trying to recruit players and, and which is why people are questioning what some of the people were getting paid good money in the club to do a certain job and it's like where are the results for that oh yeah I mean if if you're looking it's like I, I kind of joked about they'll, they'll use the step thing for MDS's performance plan but it's like it'd be fascinating to see the performance plan that the executives have and what they're actually measured on, the key things that they are measured on, because you have to feel a lot of them have actually failed in in that regard. But, I mean, Axel revealed that there's been five staff taken on with regards to kind of scouting and they've got a new scouting system in place. And, well, in the next part, we'll kind of look at what he said about bringing in new players. The basic message that, that came out from this was that they feel that the players that they've got, and Axel said, I asked all the players this before the last game. Do you feel that this current squad could make the playoffs next year? And all the players said yes. Axel said yes. The club believe that if they didn't make any changes at all, Zach, to this roster, they would make the playoffs next season. Like, and, that's, and that's utter lunacy. Is it like, like that is crazy. That's, like, that's that's yeah I agree that's delusional and it's it's really uh, I it's almost insulting to the people that are watching the games yeah. um, to say that like I, I, I understand I understand the players saying that because they're believing in themselves yeah uh, but the but the the 
uh, the, the manage the Axel or MDS should have said, we agree with that for the most part, but we still need to make improvements. They should have, I don't know, did they say that at all or did they include that anywhere or? We'll touch on what they said about that, but he, he basically said that if they weren't going to make anything, Zach, they, they would do it. And it's like, it, you're saying the player's not going to disagree with that. Of course they're not. Because it's like, if a player stood up and was like, I don't think we will, the next thing you'd be like is such a player's been released, we wish them well in their future yeah, endeavours. Exactly. No, 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 Michael, okay. I, one, I agree with Steve's comments. Players are confident in themselves. I've hung out with players long enough to know that sometimes they're more confident than what their abilities really are. And that's, I think, in some ways, part of being an athlete. Like, you have to be confident. You have to think you can get the job done. But I, I think if that is the actual case, that they actually said that, I think that in one sense that shows that that locker room doesn't doesn't get it. Like I think, yes, I understand why they would all say yes, but I also you would have hoped that someone would have shown some leadership in that locker room to stand up and say, no, you know what? I don't think we're good enough. I don't think we were good enough last year, and I know we've changed a bunch, but we obviously are not good enough. We weren't good enough this year, and I know there's all kinds of excuses we can make, but we need to be better, and we need to be better not just on the field. But off the field, and of course, that might cause you don't. Lots of players. I'm. There's lots of examples of players in Vancouver saying the thing so they won't upset their bosses, which uh, maybe has gone against their conscience. Which that's another discussion, maybe for another time that I, don't, I personally don't want to have. But it, it's, um, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's that like that's that, that, yeah, delusional. I think is the right word, Steve. It, it is utterly. It's asinine that that, that they all, all of those people say that, especially Axel. And again, I, 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 for now, I like I rate Axel. I think Axel could do some good things for the Vancouver Whitecaps. But that sounds more like, like I don't, I just don't know how you could say that. They they need to take some uh, responsibility that you know, and this is something that uh, nobody in the organization has taken over the years that they they, they there was mistakes made and admit to it and then move on from it like then we'll say we're going to try to do better but they they seem to never and this is probably a smaller actually this is probably one of the tamer points where they never took responsibility because there have been bigger issues where they didn't take responsibility for what happened um but this is this is just on the on the on the pitch itself but they need to do that they need to say yeah we may we messed up we could have done this we could have done that and they don't have to go into specifics but you know, in or and we'll, we're going to try to correct it and and get better as an organization. That's all they need to say. It's not a, a hugely difficult thing, and they'll find that people actually respect it when they say that, and not not like they think they're going to be criticized for it. The, the word that I wrote down was naive, and there's a lot of what I thought came out of this press conference that came across as being very naive, because you can simplistically break it down. And like when we did last week's show, it was right after it, and I wasn't fully thinking until we'd stopped recording, and then I spliced a, a little bit into the podcast. But it, basically, missing the playoffs, I was so focused on the fact that we'd played Seattle and Portland, and so had Colorado, and they'd taken six points and we hadn't. What I w- totally was failing to think about was that collapse in Orlando, the 4-3, where even if you'd drawn that game, you're in the playoffs right now. And that was actually something that Axel alluded to in this press conference. And I think this is what they're basing it on. Oh, we were just that one late goal away from making the playoffs this year. And to me, that's a bit naive because that's just how football works. But if you think 
No other team is going to improve next season. So if you don't make any changes, everyone else in this league that goes out and spends money is not going to make changes. Like the LA Galaxy, who finished below you this year, are not going to try and break the bank to get into the playoffs next season. And you can just somehow manage to overtake a team that's in there by not changing anything. I mean, that's just mind-blowing to me. And I mean, he did acknowledge, to be fair, that they also do know what improvements are needed. But it doesn't sit with what he said. And maybe I'm just getting hung up on that. And I'm sure he'll say, oh, I did. it's my language. I didn't quite mean it to come across like that. Because he did use that excuse later on when he was talking about the goalkeepers. And we'll come to that very shortly. But, I mean, they, they said they know what improvements are needed. We'll look at that in the next part as well. But it does just seem naive, as did Axel saying, that he believes that we are a team that nobody likes to play. I'm sure there's some teams out there that relish playing the Whitecaps because they're like, oh, this is an easy three points. Yeah, there have been times when uh, there have been a few games I can recall where it wasn't the strongest lineup that the Whitecaps were put up against. And I think there was a game against Toronto where they really took it easy in the second half where they basically took the took their foot off the pedal. And uh, that, I think that was the first game where the Whitecaps actually looked somewhat decent, but it was only because TFC was letting off. Um, yeah, I don't agree with that at all. I'm 100%. Yeah, same with thing that. with the, I mean, the, the biggest example of that that stands out to me is the 1 0 loss to Portland, it, uh, where Portland was playing definitely a second rate squad. Uh, and it was obvious that they. They felt that they could get the three points doing that uh, very handily, and they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and when you listen to MDS sitting talk about that, he comes across as you know uh, overly optimistic, which is I guess understandable that you know that oh they were so close and they you know were with Portland and whatever. And it's like, yeah, but look who you were playing from your squad, and look at who they were playing from their squad. And like if it was their full squad, then then I don't think that game would have been a one 0 game, but. You know, Michael, even even if they kept the whole team, like, sure, maybe three times out of ten, they would make the playoffs, maybe. Like, the seventh or eighth or whatever the last spot's going to be. But they would not be a competitive team. Like, they would yep. not be – they would not be a, a quali- like a quality team. Um, and Yeah, that's what it boils down to. I think the only the only people – the only players that probably uh, don't enjoy playing the – Whitecaps are players that have like bonuses where minutes being played and they don't want to be rested. Uh, they need want to get all the minutes they can. I think those are the only players that enjoy, don't enjoy playing the Whitecaps. Yeah, I think, and the people who don't want to play on the BC plays turf, sure. Mm. Well, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the Portland game there, Zach, as well, because that was something else that Axel said, because he, he used Portland as an example about being competitive and actually beating the top teams. And he said that the performances this year against Portland, and we've just talked about how one was a weaker Portland team, showed that the Whitecaps were just a few additional options away from being able to beat Portland. Again, to me, that seems quite naive. Yeah, yeah, it's just a It's almost no, no point even commenting on it because it's almost like the same. Yeah. Our responses are going to be yeah. the same every yeah. time you give a quote like that. Well, I think I mean this is unfortunately the. the, the some of the responses that were given were par for the course, right? And when we've talked about this in the past, it's try and make things sound as good as possible, right? 
It's just well, trying to I, come good because you don't want to you don't want to lose interest or you don't want to lose uh, like you don't want to yeah you don't want to lose the the fan base that you, whatever the, there is that left that they have and yeah I, I think they're they're really uh, going to for the people that really don't have much of a short term memory and they just look at the stat line and they can they they can be easily yeah. swayed by that it seems like well. Let's finish this part on a positive, a positive bit of information that Axel gave out. It was kind of following up from they were a team that nobody likes to play. And one of the reasons he gave for that is the Whitecaps outwork teams in kilometres per game. That very important stat that gets you points at the end of the day. I'm being a bit facetious, but I'd rather we outworked teams in terms of shots, shots and goals and actual goals. Could it be that they were chasing the ball a lot? That's why they were running kilometers. <laughs> or we were already three goals down, and the other team were like, "Yeah, just you play about with the ball for a bit." Yeah, I mean, if 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 those numbers were as a result of them playing a like a quality, intentional, high pressing game, then well, the results I don't think would have been what they were, but they weren't. So yeah, I don't think. I think again, I think that they're looking for ways to connect with people, and that's one of the ways they say, "Hey, look." We were really hardworking. So you, the, the common person who is hardworking in your job, look, we are a symbol of you. You can relate to us. And we're fighting for you the same way you fight for your, you know, your, a living for you or for your family or whatever. And it, it's meant to sound like a, a, a nice or a positive thing. But yeah, when you stop and you dissect it more, I don't think it really is that as positive as they're trying to make it out to be. They should have brought out the stat that our goalkeepers made the most saves in MLS last year. They were definitely hard working. So Axel, as I said, he said they know what improvements are needed. And we're going to look at what some of those are in Axel's mind and our mind as well after this. Hi, I'm Johnny Russell and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Spanish duo backer there from 1977 kicking off this part of the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. Stephen Zack hadn't heard that song, had to dig it out and give it a little play. It's been stuck in my head since Thursday after Scotland's triumph over Serbia. 
Hopefully it will now be stuck in your head all week as well, which might then get it out of my head. I don't know if that's how it works, but that is what I am banking on. It's just another fantastic example of a random song that just gets adopted by football fans and kind of made into a football song. You've got Depeche Mode's Just Can't Get Enough, Freed From Desire that became Will Griggs on fire, then everyone else on fire. I just love when, when stuff like that happens. It's just take a song that's got nothing to do with football, make it a football song, and there you go. We're going to continue to unpack some of the stuff that Axel Schuster said at the end of season press conference on Thursday. And in this part, we're going to kind of touch upon making the team better, player acquisitions, everything like that. So although we talked about in the second part there that Axel had said that this is a team that he feels still could make the playoffs without making any changes, they do know what improvements are needed to, to be better than just basically scraping into the playoffs. He did caution that this is not going to be another big turnaround off-season. He said, we had that in 2018, we had that in 2019, so don't expect the same again. A couple of quotes from him. There's going to be not a lot of adjustments, very few coming in, and very, very few leaving. So you're basically boiling it down to maybe three to four new additions. Now, we talked last week when we did our keep, release, trade, etc., etc., and we did say it was kind of difficult to see exactly how many players they were going to ship out. We'll talk about some more of them again here, but are you surprised that there is going to be such few turnovers, or was this really what you were expecting? I didn't expect there to be that many players, uh, like, like the whole thing is about, I don't have a problem with the only three or four players coming in as long as we know what the quality of player it is. They should all be starters or capable of starting an MLS. They should, and two of them should be guaranteed starters. Two guys can be starters that can be bench players or starters or kind of being that one. But two definitely has to be uh, guaranteed starters and with star making ability. Uh, like they're, they're, they're superstars basically on the pitch. So they have to really go high on two of them. Two of them can be, you know, salt stars. And it, the thing is, is they, they do have, like, I know Zach might disagree, but they do have decent depth. Depth is not an issue for them. It's the players at the top of the roster that need improvement. And, and you, you're talking about who's going to be leaving. I think the guaranteed leaves right now sound like they're, it's Montero, uh, Malinkovic, and two of the goalkeepers. That seems like uh, a guaranteed le- people that are leaving. Everybody else might be just sticking around. Yeah, you might not be wrong in that. I mean, let, let's get to, to Milinkovic's situation just now. So he was on loan from Hull City. At some point during the season, his transfer to the Whitecaps was triggered. So he must have made the appearances or whatever it was that triggered it. So the Whitecaps confirmed that they'd paid Hull City $100,000, but that they would not be bringing Milinkovic back next season. So... They have got him as their player, but they've mutually agreed with Milinkovic that they will find him a, a new club. Whether that's going to be a free transfer, whether they're going to do a sell to get the 100000 back. In the grand scheme of things, like if someone had said to me, we're going to pay 100000 in March and bring in Milinkovic for the season, he's going to get a goal and four assists, I'd have been like, yeah, for 100000 I, I don't mind that. Yeah, I mean, it sounds very Whitecaps. 
I mean, there might be more to it because, I mean, his family might not have settled. We don't know everything that was going on. He had this mysterious illness that was non-COVID related that ruled him out towards the end of the season. But he was a player, though, that seemed to love MDS. And whenever we talked about this, whenever he had an assist or a goal, he'd run over and, and hug Mark. So I thought Mark was quite high on him. So unless it's just he didn't settle or his family didn't settle or they just felt they needed a player that was more consistent, I don't know. But I don't... Folk are going to maybe get hung up in the 100,000, but I don't think it was a bad investment, and we did get some output from him this year. Do we know what the salary No, because the salaries aren't getting released because of various issues, which definitely smacks like the players have taken a big pay cut and the players' union are not wanting everyone to know exactly how big a pay cut that these players have had to take. Yeah, that, I mean, that's that. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, uh, but no, Malika, it does feel it does feel weird. Um, now there is, I guess, there is a possibility that they won't lose anything on this, and uh, you know, in the end, it, it'll it'll be okay. But it doesn't. Re- I don't know hundred hundred thousand plus salary. Yeah, in one sense, doesn't sound like a lot. But if 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 if, when it comes to the Whitecaps, that it sounds like maybe not, not not ideal. Hmm. Plus, it also, it also sounds like what they did. Um, it's I mean, it sounds it sounds similar to what they did with do with Imbom, right? Like they brought him in, uh, obviously a different kind of um, level of player and different costs and all that kind of stuff. But um, he came here with the intention of of hey, we're going to move him real real quick. Uh, we're going to try and flip him really quick, and so it, it feels like. I don't. I don't. Th- I. I don't think it's the same as in bomb because the whole city really didn't want him anymore, and I'm surprised there was even a hundred thousand dollars like fee there because he was like a issue at Hall City where they they didn't they they banned him from being on the pitch. Mm-hmm. He was late to the start or something like that. He was supposed to start one weekend, but he didn't show up in time. So he was he was a problem child in Hall City. So they wanted to get rid of him, and I'm surprised there was even a fee. Um, I definitely don't think he's going back there for sure. Uh, no, uh, I, I could see him going, going back to Hearts because he really enjoyed yeah, his he, time at Hearts and for sure seemed a good fit. But yeah, he he seems like a guy that um, looked like he had moments, but something must have came up where it, mm. it really switched over because he was getting starts even at the number ten spot sometimes. So he was definitely being put into a higher position. I I liked him. I thought he had potential, but we could definitely get a better player in than that and that's what we'll talk about in a sec I mean Freddie Montero was the other one you mentioned there Steve so Axel said they'd had positive talks after the last game and Axel's now talking to his agent about stuff what I think might happen is the Whitecaps are going to offer him a set amount to stay in Vancouver it's going to be under what Freddie feels he's valued at so then it boils down to whether Freddie can get that money somewhere else or somewhere else that he actually wants to be. Because you could find that, I don't know, let's just pick a random team. Austin? Well, yeah, I mean, expansion draft, I think someone like him and Bush would be very pleasing to a team like Austin. But I'm, I'm trying to think of maybe a, an unfashionable team, maybe it's, say a Columbus or a Chicago. Like if one of them said, oh, we'll give you what you're wanting for your salary... Is that the kind of city that he wants to be in with his family? It's away from the Pacific Northwest. Would he rather take less and stay here? That kind of stuff. Yeah, I think he'd probably stay West Coast. I don't think he'll go East. He could go. I could see him going to like an RSL 
or a San but they Jose might not pay what he wants no exactly that's the issue but he could go to like a san jose or something like that yeah or or somewhere on the west coast i don't see him going east coast at all i i think his family settled on the west coast or the western conference at least a team there MLS, of course, means there's not always a lot of say sometimes for, for these players, but I, a guy like Freddie might, you don't know what his contract might be like or whatever. So Axel said they're looking to bring in difference makers. They're all going to be offensive solutions that want to attack the goal, can give assists, and can also just provide general service. So he's looking for a DP number 8 or number 10. He's looking for a left-footed winger. And he's looking for uh, an additional attacker that can offer some versatility. So that seems to be the three main things that they're looking at. All areas of the team, I'm sure we all agree, definitely need strengthening. But for me, I also want to strengthen the DM role. I want to strengthen the right back. I've got concerns that we've spent a lot of money last season on and the season before on defenders. Ali Adnan, Ranko. Godoy, even Evan Bush. So that's a lot of money tied up in a defence that's one of the worst in the league. And I know it's not all down to the defence, but you're spending a lot of money there. We didn't really change it up too much this last off-season. Any team that's had two really bad seasons of letting that amount of goals in, surely you would be looking at the defence as being a, a key aspect as well. Are you sure he didn't say an 8 and a 10? Nope, he said an 8 oh, or joking. a 10. I'm joking, I know, I know, I'm joking. Yeah, Can't so afford again, an eight and a ten. Yeah, I mean, so again, uh, this is another w- way in which people in Vancouver will be disappointed because, uh, I'm, well, maybe they'll be happy if one good player comes into the midfield. But I, I think it, it's no. I think most people in Vancouver think the midfield needs two, maybe three new starters, and um, yeah, I guess baby steps, white cap steps, whatever. Yeah, that's interesting. Also, does the fact that he uh, specifically mentioned uh, a left-footed winger um, put put those talks of a Kyle Lahren playing on the on the wing to bed? Then, mm, well, he could be the versatile be the attacking yeah, piece that he's that he's talked yeah. about. But yeah, interesting. I mean, we do need a left-footed winger. We've needed like some really effective wingers for seasons. Like for seasons, we've wanted a decent winger that is consistent we've wanted a number 10 a midfield maestro we've wanted a Matty Laba number 6 that can go box to box the Ozzy Alonso type of midfielder and these are things we've been screaming for and we've never got so I mean hopefully they've got those targets lined up he was asked about whether he's concerned that Covid's going to play into this and again, this for me was quite a naive answer because he doesn't think it will. And he cited, uh, oh, there's other leagues in Europe that might have to shut down. But there's a difference between being in a league that's playing and not shutting down and actually being able to go home to your family at night, which there's no guarantee that next year we're going to be able to do in MLS. And MLS are talking. Mark Abbott, I think it was, came out and said they are still planning on on starting next season as normal, so around about March, which the way that the current situation is, it's going to have to dramatically improve for for the Whitecaps to be able to be playing games in in Canada. So unless we're going to be starting with two months of just playing Canadian teams again, it's going to be a hard sell, I feel, for players. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think the... But like I said, I, I, I know I said it joking before, 
but you can probably maybe you recruit somebody saying we'll move you to we'll move the whole family to Portland. Yeah, we'll get you situated in there so you're stable and everything. You so you don't have to worry about coming back to Canada when you have that week off or whatever like that. So well, it, that could it be could help with getting maybe some MLS veterans that are American. Exactly, that's true too. Yeah, you got a point there. Um, I I have a feeling. I, ideally, I don't have a feeling, but ideally what they should do, instead of spending like a, a month in Canada, they should split that, that time in Canada up, like where you're, where you're playing, like uh, you spend like a week or two mm. weeks in Vancouver with, yeah. and then go to the U.S. and then come back all three teams, spend the two weeks in Toronto or the East Coast. I think that's better off because then you break it up and you don't have to worry about uh doing that like for a, a, like being important for a full season away from your family. I do like that. But the downside of that is every time you'd come back, you've got two weeks quarantine. Well, they might be able to make some kind of exception because of the fact that they've made exceptions for other things. Like if you, if you tell them that uh, they, they, they will be bubbled when they come here, that might be a good way to ex- hmm. get that accepted. And by then they might have uh, quicker testing so that the way you can test everybody and the, everybody clears, uh, they could be good to go. Yeah, didn't Michael? Didn't they have a special exemption last year, uh, this past season, because they were taking charter flights? Well, yeah, they're allowed to come back for two days, but they can't leave their house. Yeah, so they, they're quarantined at the house yeah. for two days while they're while they're back. Yeah, so they're right. quarantined with their family. They just have to go to and from from the airport. Now, like I know, I know there was testing in Calgary. People coming into Calgary, they did this rapid testing where yeah. they only they would only have to quarantine for two days, and then they could go and do whatever they needed to do. And come March, April, I mean, hopefully there's quite a few advancements by then. And also, hopefully, things have calmed down a little bit. It's just right now, it's kind of a little bit difficult to see that. Now, a couple of other things quickly that Axel mentioned just regarding player acquisition. He talked about they've got two first-round picks in the MLS Super Draft. Now, that not necessarily means that it's going to be players that they're going to pick. They could trade those to other teams for MLS talent. That's more what I'm kind of hoping for. He talked about the goalkeeping situation and he wanted to clarify what he'd said on the radio a few weeks back where it made it sound like Cripo and Bush would not be back next season. So he basically clarified that to, to mean the current goalkeeping pool will not be back next season. So that could mean if Thomas Hassal is not the starter, which you have to feel he shouldn't be because Max Cripo is a much better keeper, Evan Bush is the better keeper. Thomas is a good keeper and a good prospect, but he has a lot to learn. And you only learn that by playing games and playing in, say, the new MLS Reserve League's not going to do that. So he needs to go out on loan. So that is kind of what Axel indicated, that that is what he was meaning by the goalkeeping pool might be different. So it still doesn't mean Evan Bush and Cripo are both going to be here because you still think, that salary dump that Bush might have to take if they want to keep him here, I don't know. But he clarified that at least. Yeah, it sounds like loan out Hassal, get rid of Meredith, Bomer's the third, and then the, the other two stay, but are, um, yeah, only if the numbers are right salary-wise. Yeah, because you also, like, if Bush is only going to play maybe a handful of games, he can't be on almost, say, double what Max is getting as... Like basically, you're one of the best players that you've got on the team. I could see them even trading Bush and picking up somebody else to be the backup, maybe an improvement over Meredith. Yeah, again, and, this and is where that. Austin could come into it and the expansion draft. And 
last couple of things. He talked about when he was talking about scouting the players. So a lot of it's obviously getting done by video just now because of COVID. They can't go and say fly off to Africa or Europe and go and watch these guys. So they're scouting by video. They're looking at stats. They're looking at like trusting word of mouth from people that they know. But he said one of the th- this fascinates me, and I, like, and I mean this in a positive way because I, I'm like, wow, this is like I never thought of this aspect before. When they're watching videos of a player, they're not just watching what they're doing on the pitch. So they're watching what they're doing in warm-up, how they're warming up, how committed they look in warm-up. They're looking for their reaction. If a goal goes in, for example, does their heads go down, do their shoulders go down, their whole body language, or are they kind of like G the team up? If something goes against them, how they're reacting to referees and stuff like that. So like basic like character when you're not on the ball and on the pitch. And I that really interested me. Yeah, that... That is interesting, but that sounds like normal scouting. I just never thought it went into looking at like stuff like that. I was always more thinking you're looking at what they're doing performance-wise. Usually, you'll, for character, uh, most people will just look at uh, um, or talk to former players or former teammates, former coaches of that player in order to assess it. But it is interesting to see that you, uh, you, you kind of use that video as a scouting because um when something goes wrong or something goes well uh, it's hard to hide your emotions on the pitch that's very true so in in summary before we kind of move on from this end of season stuff Axel said they don't want to just sign everyone right away because they don't want to miss out on something that might come along later he feels the european transfer market next year is going to be very fragile so he doesn't want to miss out on something that they could do now. Obviously, you're also looking at who they're going to bring in as young DPs and, and various things like that as well. But I think the key message to take from it, because I want to end on a positive, because I know I've maybe been a, a bit negative about some of the things that were said, and I do feel that he was a little bit naive. So if I'm wanting to say one more negative thing is every year is always crucial. It's always next year, as Zach said, or the next transfer window, we're going to do this. And J.G. Adams, that was basically the basis of his article. It's always next year, and next year never comes. But what I liked Axel saying, and this is what I'll end on, and if you guys want to just chime in with your final thoughts as well, Axel said it's not a question of if the playoffs are going to be made next season, but what position. So I like that. I think that was all that was needed said. I don't think you needed to delve into specific steps, but yeah, they should be looking at that. That should be their approach. Where are they going to finish? Not if they're going to get there. Oh, I mean, that's what we said earlier, right? Like, and like Steve said too, like show, show us, don't, don't tell us. I mean, that's, but the words are nice. Uh, actions are better. That's the best way of summing it up. Show, don't tell. So that's our end of our chat about what came out of the end of season pressers. We will be sitting down with both Mark DeSantis and Axel Schuster in the coming weeks. So if there's anything that you'd like us to ask him, get in touch, send us a message on Twitter at AFT in Canada. You can shoot me a DM there or shoot me an email, aftincanada at hotmail.com. We'll also delve into some of the stuff that wasn't asked. And I was genuinely quite pleased that they didn't ask Mark a lot of stuff because it means there's all the more for me to ask him when I sit down with him. 
But we're going to move on to the final part of tonight's show now. It's only another four-parter tonight. We're going to look at the MLS playoffs, but before we get to that, we're going to hand out some more of our end-of-season awards, and we're going to be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Carl Robinson. Uh, you're listening to the AFTN podcast. Welcome back to the final part of tonight's AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And it's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. I think just because of the year that everyone's had, I know that folk are putting up their Christmas decorations a little bit earlier. The stores are full of all the Christmas stuff. The Christmas movies are coming on TV even earlier. And I thought, why don't we just get in on the act as well here at AFTN? So it was friends of the show there, Goldie Luke and Shane, kicking off this part with their Christmas release, Covid Christmas, borrowing very heavily from Slade's Merry Christmas Everybody. Let's see if that's another song that we can put in your head for the whole week. So let's get back into the football chat now, and we're going to hand out some more of our AFTN End of Season Awards. And we're going to do some of the, the fun ones this time. We did some of the more serious ones in the last episode. And there's still some others that we'll hand out that we're not going to be going over to on the show. I'm going to start things off with Whitecaps Tackle of the Year. Do either of you have any good nominations for that? No, that's one that I'm always thinking about that I need to pay attention more during the year, but I always forget. The only one... The only one that over the years I've remembered is the, the Rio Coker one, uh, Nigel Rio Coker oh, yeah. on, uh, first of all, on the player in San Jose and then on the bicycle rack. I, I did hear, of course, Zach, that Carlisle Mitchell always kind of won the Tackle of the Year award when he was in the team. Oh, man. Teddy I've, Dunfield before that. Andy O'Brien had the great tackle in San Jose also, didn't he? Oh, yes. He was squaring oh, up oh, to oh, Lenhard. Yeah. I mean, for me, the tackle of the year, or the one that is instantly in my mind, I'm sure there's probably been some crunching Michael Baldissimo tackles because he likes to, to go in there. But I just like, it was stupid and foolish and could have got him sent off. But Cava's on Osorio four minutes into the game at BC Place, where beforehand Cava was like, oh yeah, we're a good friends, it's nice to play against him. And then they just went right through him four minutes in. And then I asked him about him afterwards and he's like, Oh, yeah, well, I was just kind of showing him I was there. I mean, basically that they laughed about it. Osorio did not take that well. That was a good one. I remember also another good one was, um, I, f- I forget who it was now, but the guy, the player, I want was it Dahomey maybe? Someone who, the guy who tackled uh, Rudy Camacho at BC Place, and then Camacho got up and punched oh, the- <laughs> That was Freddie. 
No, but he didn't make the tackle. Oh, no, Freddie didn't make the tackle. No, you're right. It was the homie because the homie <laughs> went right through him. And then Freddie's yeah. the guy that gets punched in the nuts. <laughs> that might not be the best tackle, maybe the most memorable. It's training. If any listeners have any tackles of the year that slipped our mind, get in touch. This one is another one I always mean to to write down. It's the it's the Breck Shea Memorial Trophy that for Miss of the Year. And sadly, of course, Breck not with us this year. We can't include him. He was on some run of scoring for a for a spell there. And I guess he's got the last laugh because he has made the the playoffs. But anyway, I mean, is, was there anything that stuck out? If you don't, it's fine. Does it also have to be on the pitch? If you feel you want to take Miss of the Year in a, a more lateral way, you can do that for off the pitch. For the me, there was one, uh, I think it was Cavallini, but I, just, I, I don't recall the game. Or oh, the, he did the, have a couple, actually. Yeah, where yeah. He, he was in the right position and just couldn't get it. You could. It was even before he scored his first goal. Yes. There was a lot of uh, misses he had where he was frustrated. I think it was, it wasn't the home, home opener. I think he even had a really bad miss, I think I recall. Well, there was also uh, that shit penalty. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. That, that, I, was, really I was gonna say. I was gonna say Cavallini too. Uh, he missed multiple times, and then yeah, yeah he at least two penalties that I can remember. I do remember one of his misses and me saying, "That's not what you want from your DP." Yeah. Striker. The off, the field, the off the field miss obviously is a DP like uh, midfielder. Yeah, M- missing uh, an attacking midfielder of or again missing out on replacing a key piece like in bomb that moves away. And you don't replace him, so that that is certainly another miss. Same with same with Jordi Reyna. Yeah, although I kind of missing felt that his was... alarm clock. <laughs> I was going to say he's multiple type of misses. Oh, missing the news that there's a lockdown and he can't go and play pick up football in Andy Livingston Park. So another award that we like to give is the most embarrassing moment. Now it could be white caps, it could be within MLS, it could be the CPL, or it could just be football here in some way shape or form any embarrassing things from the season kind of stick out the only one that kind of came into my mind was maybe the fact that you had two teams that got sent home from mls's back for failing covid tests and having to miss that so like dallas and nashville but i don't know if that was embarrassing or just bad luck or because we still don't really know all the ins and outs of that but so for me, like an embarrassing, like I, I don't know if he'll consider it embarrassing, but I kind of consider it embarrassing. Um, you get pulled off the pitch and you go immediately to the showers and you, you sit up in the stands within 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of, it wasn't a good, I, I don't know, like again, I don't know if it was embarrassing for him, but it was kind of in that kind of vein, it was not a good look for him. Yeah, I'm, un- talking, I'm speaking about Ali Adna. It was unprofessional as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. Players do not get normally get subbed off. Go to the locker room, get changed, and then come unless off. unless you get sent off or something like that. But he was he was just oh, subbed off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you get sent off, sure, you're not allowed back out. But I think I think I don't remember the specific instances, but I think VAR and MLS has been pretty embarrassing a number of times this year. Yeah, there's there's been again some really strange decisions with VAR. It's just been a bit disappointing. Uh the waste of money award. We like to hand that one out. Is there anything that you feel, from a White Cat's point of view, I, I guess we can look at, that was a bit of a, a waste of money this year? Possibly printing off all the season tickets, but... Yeah, probably. And, and also the promoting, like putting so much effort into uh, the whole thing about uh, having fans greet the players off the bus. 
uh, like the whatever money they spend on planning that and everything. Because oh, yeah. especially you know, with COVID, I forgot all about especially that. With, especially with COVID, because that would not been, it wouldn't have worked with COVID if even if we had games in the stadium and everything. Michael, and it shows how long you haven't had a season ticket. They don't print off season tickets anymore. It's just a card. It's just a, yeah, card. It's just a card. It's a single card. Oh, they, they still get the free scarf and the free gift. <laughs> No. <laughs> we talked. Oh, you and I were talking about this a while ago, weren't we, Michael? Yeah, I just thought um, I'd throw that in. No, um, uh, what was this one again? Waste, waste of money, waste of money. Oh yeah, waste of money. I oh, um, maybe not. I don't know all the parameters around it. I don't know who paid for what and everything this time, or as much as I've I heard about previous times. But um, it feels like a waste of charter flights. <laughs> like I mean, they had <laughs> it does to use- a bit. They had to use charter flights and stuff or whatever, but it's like, I mean, they probably use more charter flights because of a pandemic than because they wanted to win. You know, like... Well, they used a charter flight to bring one player, Bush, from New, from New Jersey to Portland. So there's that as well. Of course, you don't know how much the leagues maybe kind of offset some of that. But yeah, if all these teams are chartering... That... Is a charter flight cheaper than it used to be? Who knows? Well, I mean, you would think with the airline industry trying to, to make any money that they can right now, it would be the complete opposite of that, of course. But yeah, I mean, that's that's actually a very good shout because you have to charter. It's the only safe way to do this during a, a pandemic. But then teams are going from using zero to, what, 14, 15, maybe in a year. So uh, and one, one, other, one, other, one other waste of money uh, nominee I have is... Um, um, Sign, not not signing of a guy named Tank, but renting a tank that's not a tank uh, for the. That signing. was last year. That, that would be. That was the. Was it last year? I, yeah. can't, I can't even keep track. I know. That's a good one. <laughs> Speaking of the yeah. charter flights, it was interesting to see Kai Kamara get on. The, he said, "Get on a commercial plane to go home to play for Sierra Leone." And, oh really? Um, and it was, yeah, he said it was just weird to fly commercial or whatever. I mean, he said there was lots. Of, I think he said there was like lots of space because there's not a lot of people on the plane, but. Hmm. Um, and then, of course, apparently uh, his side uh, was down four nil to Nigeria in Nigeria and came back to tie four four or something. Yeah, I saw that. Incredible Crazy. stuff. I mean, you think with the amount of signing on fees he must have got at clubs, he could afford a private jet by now. I don't but think anyway. it works for North America, Michael. Ah, oh, damn. He should he should have gone to Europe. So, last three awards we're going to hand out. This is the one we do every year. Referees has won this very often when we've done this. Things you would like MLS to change. Now, anything different this year from our, our usual suspects? I I was thinking things like, I we're not going to see this with the amount of teams, but when you've got an unbalanced schedule, just make it a single table and you just have the top whatever teams get in. Obviously, that would have benefited the Whitecaps this year. But even if it didn't, I would still have felt that that was the fair way to do it because it's unbalanced. And if you're not playing teams that are in the playoffs that are in your conference and you can't get the chance to take points off them you have to just do a single table so if this was all to continue for for all of next season I would just have singles table final standings if you want you could do conferences for some kind of playoff seedings or or whatever but that's just how, how I would would do that especially when you've already got a team from the West and Nashville going to the East and then making the playoffs. But anyway, so I mean, there's that aspect of it. Centralising VAR, as we've talked about several times on this show, would probably be my other one. 
Yeah, those are both the good ones. I thought you were going to say, you know, get rid of allocation uh, stuff, Michael. I know that's. I think I'm a lot of the stuff. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that we want MLS to change, it, it, it seems like we give the same answers because they never change the things we want to yeah. change. So it, it, it's kind of a repeat, rinse and repeat. So we like to, to do these every year hero of the year and villain of the year. So what I thought we would do this year, just to spice it up a bit, is have a white cap hero and a white cap villain, and it can be more than one for each category, and a global hero and villain, which could be from within North American football, or it could be somewhere worldwide. So anyone want to start in this? Yeah, I think the white cap hero, or sorry, the white cap villain of the year uh, it continues to be the ownership and the executive. And I think this year, the thing that, that really um, helped other people see that uh, other than those who've been close to things in, the, in previous years is the, the handling of the Mark Panda situation. And I guess going back to last year, how they handled a number of other serious issues. Um, but I think that, um, I think that was any, just their explanation of it. Like when you have, uh, when you have like Jeff Mallet saying stuff like, it's the opposite of a of a cost cutting measure. Like it just, yeah. To me, uh, it's it's it, it's it. I, in the sense that hopefully maybe it can propel the club forward. It's good to see that a lot of uh, those who those in the fan base, those who support the Whitecaps, uh, are finally understanding that there's an unhealthy element to the ownership and to the executive. Funnily enough, that's actually what I had as my villains as well, was the, the Whitecaps ownership. And my hero of the year was Mark Panis, just for the breath of fresh air that he was coming into the organisation. So, I mean, it ties in hero and villain. I just, I did not like the way it was handled in general, but that press conference that they had and how Jeff Mallet came across in that, like, I, I liked Jeff Mallet and I know he got a lot of criticism, but he went down a little bit in my estimation after that. I just did not think he handled the criticism that he got on that well. And just in general, the way that we're still talking about the same issues at this club so many years after we first... We started this podcast in 2013. How much has actually changed in the front office in that time? And of the stuff that has changed, how much has it has been for good? Yeah, you 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 you'd see changes in a front office when the team does well, even like when a t- team does well. You see, uh, but this team has had very minor successes here and there, um, and it's the same people running it every year. So yeah, you're hundred percent right. Um, I agree with the hero. I was I, my selection was going to be Mark Panis as well for showing us for a brief glimpse of time what an organization uh, like a leader in an organization would look like and how we would run it. Uh, like we said before in the earlier in the podcast, apologizing when something goes wrong, saying we'll do better and we'll and and everything like that. And uh, also, he should be considered a hero for um, uh, doing things out of the box, like the whole aquarium thing, uh, which obviously now is like a uh, hundred people were involved in it, just not him. Yeah, I'm seeing white caps, Christmas masks all over the place at the moment as well. So I mean, it, that was something that caught on fantastically of course the club will spin that and say it wasn't just him that was behind it because that's basically what Mallet said in the in the press conference he was just like there's a team behind this it's not just him what about your global 
villains well, or heroes. I, I would I would agree with you with you all on the on the panis for the White Caps hero as well. And Michael, I think it was that same press conference where Jeff Mallet couldn't articulate the vision of the football club, which made it really really awkward. In terms of yeah. in terms of global, um, I, I'm going to also uh, choose something that's probably not not super surprising and. Um, but is somewhat White Caps related, tangentially White Caps related, is um, is Alfonso Davies and his uh, his rise in the game, uh, uh, and I think the the pinnacle obviously is you know doing a you know doing a treble or the, he's done a quintuple now this year before getting injured, um, but winning the Champions League and then of course uh, I want to say it was a semifinal uh, that where he totally. Uh, Totally undressed Nelson Semedo for Barcelona and set up that set up that goal and that eight two romp um, was I think one of the one of the, the 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 highest of the heights for him this year. But by far, I think um, yeah it, he um, he has allowed Canadian supporters just to uh, really in, have a great year of following someone from their country um, play on the on the club games largest stages. And uh, just been a, a, a breath of fresh air in that sense, and it's been great to see him um, uh, him just do so well. And so that's by far my my hero of the year. Um, and the thing is, is he his uh, his play on that on that one one move and everything like that was so great that nobody even knows who the other player was. I think it was Zach is the one of the few people that knows who he deked out because nobody even remembers who that was because everybody was so so awe of Alfonso Davies. I think Barcelona either did or tried to sell him after that, <laughs> like the next day. Um, uh, my hero of the of the year, and it's it's a plural heroes of the year are probably all the people um, in the background, uh, not the players necessarily, but all the people that made it possible for soccer to, and football to go on uh, during the during the COVID era, like the the staff and the, the people that had to go in there and clean all the time. And then uh, and obviously the families as well, especially in MLS where there were long stretches of period, uh, uh, especially for the Canadian teams, but even the American teams during the bubble time where they were away from their family. So I, I probably make those people like a collective heroes of the year. Just, that, just that's a very good one. You always pick nice things like that. You picked the, the little boys that were down the mine one year as well. Yeah, I did. Um, just to clarify that Barcelona did, did sell Semedo to Wolverhampton Wanderers. <laughs> my, my hero of the year, if you'd asked me this last Sunday when we were going to be doing this, is not the hero I would have picked last week, but instead it's Scottish goalkeeper David Marshall for that penalty save against Serbia that hurt my asshole, but it was all worthwhile in the end. And yeah, absolutely. He's a Scottish hero. He'll never have to buy a drink in Scotland ever again. He's he's gone down in folklore. My global villain of the year is actually staying in North America and it is disgraced and no longer... Real Salt Lake owner Del Loy Hansen, who was just the way he handled things during the pandemic, the way that he handled things with like the, the staff. There was rumours that they were going to get lots of layoffs and then the whole Black Lives Matter thing and just his outspokenness and that. He'd obviously said things before that had all come to light. He's just the kind of guy that you do not want involved in, a, in North American football and he's not going to be any longer so 
glad he's out the door at RSL, but he definitely, for me, came across as one of the villains this year. Uh, my villain of the year is also North American based. Is the whoever came up with uh, changing to a point per game system oh. um, with like two weeks to go in the season or three weeks to go, whatever it was. They're still uh, trying to say that it was like this the whole time. It's just nobody uh, knew. Bull- yeah, revisionist history again. <laughs> That's <laughs> essentially it. Oh, well, uh, and then another example of what a crazy year 2020 is, is that one of my uh, people that I was thinking about nominating as hero of the year was Landon Donovan. So that tells you how crazy a year 2020 is when he's a consideration for my hero of the year. Yeah, actually, that would have been a good shout as well. He definitely deserves to be in the mix. So I, I guess Phoenix Rising can also be down as glo- global villains of the year, or at least North American villains. What about you, Zach? Do you have a global villain? Uh, I think, yeah, you, you guys have good shouts. I was just going to say COVID. Uh, the boy that ate the bat. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it like that, Michael, but um, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, that's, I mean, in a footballing sense, that's been the thing that's taken away, I think, the most joy from football this year. Yeah, I mean, it's changed the game, totally. It's like, it's changed the world, obviously, which is far more important than than just the game of football, but we are a football podcast. But yeah, I mean, that's, I'd I'd thought about that myself, because that has completely changed everything. So that is it for our awards season on the podcast. We will obviously get all of those awards typed up and then start to do something with them on the actual website as we do every year. Also watch out for our latest in, out, in the bubble kind of thing that we do at the end of every season. That will be coming up soon. Before we get back into the football chat, I'm going to take a little break just now to bring you this week's Wavelength. And we're going back to 1974 this week. We kicked off the show talking about the sad passing of Tony Waiters, a legend in the NASL. So I thought, why not bring you a song that I've been keeping for a while, just waiting for the right time to play it. This week seems very fitting to do that. It's from another NASL legend, this time singing, not playing football. New York Cosmos's Giorgio Kinalia recorded before he came over to the NASL. And who knew that the Italian had a musical career? I didn't until I stumbled across this a couple of years ago. It's maybe not the best song in the world, maybe not the best football song, but it is surprisingly catchy. So I'm going to play it for you just now. This is Giorgio Canalia with Football Crazy. Sunday morning, rain or shine on time All week long Got a dream Cause I'm better than the rest Alright Alright Might just start Feeling good Rival team is raving too On the field Think of you Trainer says some love tonight Alright
A legend of the NASL, a legend of New York Cosmos, Giorgio Canalia there with Football Crazy. Told you it was a catchy one, let's see if you find yourself humming that away as the week goes on. We've definitely been on a mission tonight to try and put some songs in your head that will entertain you for the whole week or drive you crazy. You can kind of decide which of those is correct. If any of them do stick in your head, don't let us know. Send us a tweet at AFTN Canada. Not got much more of tonight's show to go though, and we're going to round it off by just taking a look at the MLS playoffs. Yes, the action does get underway again this week. The season is not over, despite the fact that the Whitecap season is. I thought that just signalled the end of everything. Sadly not. The show must go on, as they say. And the playoffs get underway on Friday. So we'll have a little look at what is in store. And quite a busy set of matches, guys, that that we're going to have a quick look at just now. They actually get underway on Friday with the first two play-in games, as they're called. Just call them playoffs. They're playoffs. They're not play-in. Who cares about that? And Canadian interest in this one. You've got New England Revolution taking on Thierry Henry's Montreal Impact. That's a 3.30 kickoff in the afternoon on Friday Pacific time on TSN. And then Nashville taking on Inter-Miami. Then on Saturday, you've got Orlando against New York City FC. 
and Columbus against New York Red Bulls. Before we get into a slew of games on Sunday, Sporting Kansas City against San Jose, Minnesota against Colorado, Portland against Dallas. Then, the next round gets underway on Tuesday as the games come thick and fast. Are you excited going into the playoffs? Is there any teams that you feel are worth watching out for? Or are you just past caring at this point? Well, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The teams that are playing on Friday, they're going to be playing like the still that same round on Tuesday, yeah, right? They're, they're, they're going to be the teams playing out on Tuesday. Okay, yeah, they're going to, gotcha. The winners of that's going to play Toronto or Philadelphia. Yeah, it's 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 uh, just an odd start to the obviously, and it's all they're one-off games. There's not like a a two-game you know a playoff or whatever like they used to have with aggregate score. So it'll be exciting in that way that uh, there's no holding back. You have to go for it. Uh, there's no away goals in this. It'll be similar. Obviously, we saw a little bit of that last year, too. And obviously, this is with expanded part. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Um, a big advantage to uh, teams like Toronto and Philadelphia because they're going to play a team that just played on Friday to Tuesday. Yeah. So there is a little bit of an advantage there. But other than that, it, it's everything else is up in the air. Like, I, I couldn't tell you. Who's a favorite? The only one I would put money on is Sporting KC over San Jose. Other than that, everything looks very close. Portland maybe a little bit over FC Dallas, but everything else is like a toss-up for me for our games. I mean, every game's going to be on TSN by the looks of it. I'm 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 actually looking forward to it. having this little break. I don't usually like the break between the end of the season and this, but it's kind of refreshed my interest. So I think. I think I might actually be looking forward to it. And you actually were your uh, your country was successful during this. Yeah. Break, so it was especially a nice break for you. East Fife lost two games this week, but they they lost by one goal to teams in a higher league in the cup. So I, I can live with that. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I, I have this is the first time I've really, really not enjoyed an international break in a long time. Like, yeah, I would I've just been in this great groove of enjoying the Bundesliga every weekend. Ah, yeah. yeah. Taking so many games, and but didn't Germany win something? They won their group or something like that. Nations yeah, League? it's not not ex- it's the, it's the Nations League or whatever. Yes. No, no one in Germany cares. League of Nations. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's not a real not thing. Fans of that. It's not. Oh man. Um. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not. And Canada obviously is not playing. I just, yeah, really. Uh, this has been a great weekend to watch the Bundesliga. Mm. Anyway, looking forward to next weekend. Last thing I'll talk about to, to do with the MLS playoffs, obviously this Canadian interest on Friday, Montreal, they're down some players because of international duty do you, and suspensions for for various things as well. Do you think they've got a chance or are they going to be one and done? I got them as one and done because of those issues. Like uh, the, the playing ones, are, like I think New England has easily the best chance. Yeah. I have no idea about Nashville and Miami. Um almost have no idea who the players are even on the team. So uh, <laughs> I don't even know if David Norman has, has played this year at all. So I No, he them. got he got injured, so he didn't he didn't play. But Miami do have a Scottish guy, so there you go. Yeah, there you go. And I think on that note, let's wrap things up for this evening. Just before we go, let everyone know where they can find you online, starting with Steve. You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. For me, it's at Zachary M. And without Piet, the impact are not going past uh, Bruce Arena's New England Revolution. It'll be a large task without Piet. Or Petit. No, it's actually Petit is the word. I know. Damn it, I messed that up. 
Yeah, it was nearly there. If you were dyslexic, that would have been a hilarious joke. <laughs> I am Michael McCall. I also don't think Montreal is going to advance past New England. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. You can read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. Follow us on Instagram, AFTN Soccer, and give us a subscribe, a like, a thumbs up, and whatever you, you need to do on YouTube to, to get our numbers up. That would be very great. YouTube.com backslash AFTN Canada. Some good VMSL action up if you want to check that out and you want to get some football. We will be back next week talking more Whitecaps, MLS, Canadian football, and who knows what else. Until then, thanks for listening, take care, and mon the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.